0: Green dream, I have a green dream—a dream about you and me, and of what can be. A green dream for all the children, the ones who play with us. Welcome to the, the Public Circle Podcast.
1: Come. My name is Adam Living Olson, a member Nature's of the British Columbia Legislative Assembly for Saanich North and the Islands. I thank you for hanging in there with me. It's been a couple of weeks since I published uh, an episode of of this podcast. Things got caught up. Um, I've, I think I've got caught up, but I got behind. As the spring legislative session came to an end, there was a lot going on, and I didn't have the chance to uh, to go through and do the edits that were needed on the podcasts that I had recorded. So there's a number of podcasts that are just waiting to be edited, put together, packaged, and then published, and those will be rolling out in the coming weeks. I get to re-engage this podcast with Uh, I'm just so honored to be able to sit down uh, with this guest for this week, episode number 13, Rafi Kavukian, also known as just Rafi. And for anybody who's been listening to children's music over the years, if you've had kids or if you've been a kid, then you've probably, if you've been a kid in the last 40 years, then you've probably heard Rafi. And if you have kids, then not only are you uh, a Beluga grad yourself, but you're probably raising... Beluga grads as well. And that's the story that I get to unpack today in this episode of the public circle. Now I've tried to do this opening several times and I've wanted to get into the content and just say how excited I am to be able to have Rafi and to talk about what we've t- what we're talking about. We talk about uh, his life as a children's troubadour playing music for kids, how he got started, and how that evolved into his work around child honoring and uh, the important work around honoring the child, And how Rafi sees that as an opportunity to really change the culture uh, in our society, to move us in a direction that we live in a more sustainable uh, world and create more resilient communities. So, without further ado, you don't need to hear any more from me. Let's hear from Rafi and this incredible conversation that I had the honor of having. Here he is. It's Rafi.
0: We are in a beautiful landscape. known commonly as Salt Spring Island, and also acknowledged to be the Coast Salish Territories. Yeah. And it's a joy to uh, to actually be speaking with you today,
1: Adam. Well, the joy is mine. I grew up uh, very much uh, listening to uh, Robin in the Rain. <laughs> um, and, and I think I tweeted at you uh, the other day uh, because... My daughter reached up to the tap, uh, and I said, "Hey, Ella." She goes. Or she said, "I just, I just reached the tap." And I said, "For the very first time today." She said, "Yes." And I said, "There's a song for that."
0: From my song, I wonder if I'm growing. Hey, I can reach the tap now for the very first time today.
1: Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you were very generous in your retweeting back to me. So. My kids, uh, my kids are bringing an incredible amount of joy to my life, and for you, kids have brought an incredible amount of joy to your life. I think we should probably tell people who it is that I'm talking to, although <laughs> maybe they can guess.
0: <laughs> the more
1: we get together, together. Can you guess out there? <laughs> I think that they can. I think that they can guess. Rafi Kavukian. Is it Kavukian? Is that how you? Kavukian.
0: It? Yes. Kavukian. Mm, you, you did well.
1: The child troubadour. Or the the children's singer uh, songwriter, let's, let's the take troubadour.
0: That, uh, let's take that again, shall we? Sure. The <laughs> Raffi Kavukian. Yeah. Uh, best known as Raffi. Okay. The children's troubadour.
1: There it is. Mm-hmm. That's a good introduction. So you've been playing music for children now for how long?
0: Since about the mid '70s, so over 40 years. And my very first album for the very young called Singable Songs for the Very Young, came out in 1976. So this is the fifth decade now of doing this work.
1: And uh, and how many albums do you have? Umpteen. Umpteen albums. Yeah. that's a-
0: Some say 25. I don't know. Depends if you count compilation albums or not. And then in 1990, I had my ecology album, Evergreen, Everblue, when I took a little time away from my children's career. So there's
1: that. And, uh, yeah, it's
0: been a lot of music over the years.
1: Uh, how does a song start for you? How, how does, what's the process for you? Do you, do you get the lyrics first? Uh, how, how does it work? In, in songwriting? Yeah.
0: It's, it's a magical process, really. I, I tend to think of song ideas knocking on the door of my awareness. And if I make time for them, the song sort of appears. Sometimes it's a couple of lines you write down on a napkin or a piece of paper, and you hold on to it for four months, and then you go, oh, there, there's a musical phrase that's just coming in my mind that conjures those words, or the words fit, you know? In fact, my song, uh, All I Really Need is a Song in My Heart, from my uh, 1980 Be- Baby Beluga album, came that way. It was, it was a couple of lines written on a piece of paper for about six months, and then it was, in fact, the International Year of the Child, 1979, And I wanted to write a song that all children could sing no matter where they were in the world and what their, you know, conditions were. So all I really need, it was a protest song, that said all I really need is a song in my heart, food in my belly, and love in my family. And the verses talked about clean air for breathing, clean water for drinking, so that I can grow up strong take my place where I belong. So even back from 1979, these values were in my songs. and um, they, they led to other songs like Big Beautiful Planet in 1982, which talks about the power of the noonday sun, a gift from, to every nation from a star. Mm-hmm. And now we're more and more... Uh, harnessing that renewable gift aren't we
1: yeah I mean I think I think the, you've you've had a way of connecting children to the world around them in a, in a very beautiful way and, and in a way that I think is so um, I mean I, I think a lot of what I've done in my life and the connection that I have to the world around me comes from those songs I mean mm. the the just the notion of being a beluga grad or be or being connected to uh, to this in this way speaks to i'm 43 now mm. right so mm. that so that the year that your first album was was released is the year that I was released mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, nice <laughs> and and so I think you know I think uh growing up with that and and then we went to your not this year but last year's uh concert at the Royal theater, which mm. I think you do every year mm. or you do something like that every, every couple year. of years yeah. And uh, and I'm looking around at all of my peers as they're there with their kids, you know, and the next generation is now growing up with those songs and mm-hmm. singing, and, and you're still singing along to them and, and, and in a very joyful way connecting them to the world around them. It's, a, it's important.
0: Well, it's, uh, I think it's, it's an important aspect of the work with young children is to connect them to the wonders of this world, the three-dimensional marvels of this world. I mean, that's the magic of, of, of life, especially in our beautiful West Coast surroundings. My goodness. Um, in a time, in a digital era, where the shiny screen is ca- you know, catching so much of the attention all the time, that work of imprinting young children with nature becomes even more important you know, uh, Rachel Carson talked about that decades ago. She had a book, a children's book, actually, about this. So I often talk to parents about the importance of a young child learning the slow rhythm of a summer with no, you know, with no care in the world. You know, that can't come later. It has to come when you're young, because you're. You're learning what summer feels like. You're learning what the seasons feel like. And you can't get that from a screen. <laughs> to say the huh, obvious. Well, I
1: just, I was just talking about our weekend away, the family's weekend away in Bamfield. Hmm. My kids, my nephews, all of my kids, my nieces and nephews, and and my my two children, spent two full days on the dock hmm. in Bamfield fishing for just for piling perch and. For some rock crab, and mm-hmm. um, every time they caught something and let it go again, you know it was it was this big big event that happened <laughs> exactly. on the dock, right? Yes. And um, for the older cousins, my my kids' older cousins, they did p- have to peel themselves away from the screens, and um, mm. and it it got me thinking about the fact that I spent my entire childhood on the dock, not two days mm. away, right. but the entire day. Of every day, mm. of mm. every summer, mm. yeah. There you go on Jimmy Gilbert's dock. Right now, if you go down there, you can't. You can't even get access to the dock because it's private, and mm. and you know people have their boats there, and they don't yeah. want kids crawling all over the docks. So just in that one generation, but, it's that, but that
0: time for you made an impression, uh, and more than an impression, it was a foundational experience of your life, and. It, when I talk about the early years being formative, I, I, I'm fond of saying what's forming is nothing less than how it feels to be human. Mm. These formative early years. Uh, I joke about the f- formative being the new F word I want every parent to understand. It's that important in human development. The early years are the most important time, developmentally speaking, because what children need in those early years this is what i came to learn when i studied early childhood development what children need in those early years can't be got later mm-hmm. so it's such an impressionable time and if my songs help young children to connect with the wonders of this world
1: then that makes me happy so i want to i'm going to backtrack and then we'll jump ahead but mm. i want to backtrack because i want to ask the question who was it, or what musical artists or inspiration kind of got you, got you started in, in being a musician? What was, what was the early inspiration for you? Um,
0: in fifth grade, Mr. Horton brought in a friend of his. He was my teacher, Mr. Horton. And this friend played a, the 12-string guitar and sang, Swing low, sweet chariot. And I thought I'd seen something magical. I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And I wanted to be able to do that. So in my teens, uh, you know, I was listening to uh, pop radio in Toronto. I was listening to Motown and the Beatles and, and um, uh, Bob Dylan, Gordon Lightfoot, Joni Mitchell. And so I got a guitar and started learning how to play. And everything sort of rolled from there.
1: And you made a decision at some point to focus primarily on singing mm-hmm. to children.
0: Yeah, I was a I was a folk singer, a struggling folk singer. And uh, one day, uh, I mean, I used to be married to a, a kindergarten teacher, a very compassionate teacher. And her uh, mother had a nursery school in Toronto. And she said, why don't you come and s- sing a few songs for the kids? Bring your guitar, it would be fun. So I had to learn the first few songs to sing because they weren't part of my... Armenian family upbringing, so here I am learning the complete words to "Baba Black Sheep," <laughs> um, and "Mary Had a Little Lamb," and so on, and and marveling at the various verses, going, "Oh, oh, that's interesting! I didn't know there were that many verses." So I went in, and we had a great time. I was just seated on a rug on the floor, and then I it went well, and I was asked back, and then uh, the idea came up that it would be good to make an album of songs for young children because they're an important audience who don't often get music made for them in a serious, respectful way. And so my former wife and I talk, thought about it, and we thought, yeah, that sounds about right, let's, let's do it. So, and I was so lucky to have wonderful musicians uh, with me at the time, Ken Whiteley, a multi-instrumentalist, who's still a dear friend, we recorded uh, that very first album in the basement studio of Danielle Lanois, who was the engineer who then went on decades later to become a world-famous producer of music, of the Neville Brothers, U2, Bob Dylan, Emmaloo Emily, Emily Harris. <laughs> anyway, from, from that small beginning came an album, Singable Songs, that... Uh, People found it irresistible, and it just opened up a whole new career for me. Once I understood that music for young people is a wonderful uh, endeavor, really, because it gives them so much. And if you make the songs singable, then uh, they can take them and stretch them and play with them. And that's what I think comes through in my songs is a sense of play, and I think that's what kids... Respond to and have responded to all along.
1: I absolutely, I I absolutely agree with that. And in fact, one of the things that I can I marvel at uh, as a parent is uh, it's more with my daughter Ella than it is than it was with Silas. But Ella sings everything she does.
0: Oh, so
1: <laughs> she wow. she just is always singing. Wow. And she has a way of turning, her, and when you're talking about play, it's speaking so directly to my experience with, with my daughter, that she plays in song. Wow, that's she's, marvelous. She's now singing yeah. in in Senchothan, in the in this Coast Salish language of Senchothan. She has a, a hand drum, and she was singing a, a song, and... And my, my wife, Emily, said to her, she said, oh, that's a new song. I haven't heard that one yet. Mm. Because Ella will come home from school with right. these songs. She's in immersion. And this is the way they're teaching mm. is through song.
0: Wow, that's smart. That's really smart.
1: Well, yeah, the, the different yeah. sounds and the alphabet and Rhythms, uh, the whole thing. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and Ella turns to her and she goes, oh, no, that's not a song I've learned at school. I made that song up. <laughs> So she's now crafting her own. Her own. So, wow. I mean, I think... I see, she's,
0: th- playing, she's playing with language.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, so and multiple languages. Yeah. Um, and, but it's helping connect ideas yeah. and this foreign language, which is very much a local yeah, language, right, right, but right. it's foreign to her. Right. And it's creating the connections in her mind.
0: Wouldn't it be fun to see if we could translate the more we get together? and sing it in Silchothan.
1: I think it would be phenomenal. <laughs> I think it would be great. I think there would be a bunch of kids that would be ready to sing it with you as I'll, well.
0: I'll work on that with, with you, and, well, with Ella,
1: <laughs> well, if you like. She'd Well, she'd be the one to, to teach well, you, not let, me, I can't tell you. Let's anything. ask her if, she,
0: okay, if she'd I'll, like to do that.
1: We'll ask her at dinner time tonight, yeah. how about, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, and, and, and now kind of the jumping forward point, which yeah. I promised a few minutes earlier that we'd get to, and talking about the the work that you've done in taking your songwriting and capturing kids and children with your, with your songs to now the child honoring program that you've started. And how did that happen? (laughs) I mean, I I think that's a great
0: question, actually. Thank you for that. Uh, I love telling the story. It was in the mid 1990s the distributors of my music were always uh, wanting me to do things that you know that to to increase sales that i thought i didn't want to do they were always suggesting marketing ideas and i said no 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 i don't want to do that because i didn't want to market my music directly to children or you know fast food outlets and all that kind of stuff we were saying no so many times that uh, you know one day my associates and i got together and we said to ourselves why don't we make a list of what things we're for? Mm. (laughs) And then we'll communicate that. If it falls within this parameter of what we are are about, what we're for, then we'll, we'll be glad to partake. I think that was the beginning, in a way, of my questions around my deep meditation on what would a world that honored its young look like? At the United Nations, there's a wonderful phrase, a world fit for children. So I kept asking myself, what would a world fit for children look like? What would, and, I, and I started writing essays. We didn't call them blogs back then, you know, about what would a child hyphen honoring society look like. And lo and behold, 1997, a vision ro- woke me up from a sound sleep. A vision woke me up. And, and the words child honoring were in the air. Those two words, no hyphen, <laughs> and I knew in that moment, in that luminous moment, that I was being given something, in answer to this deep meditation on the ecology of the child, you know, that I'd engaged, actually, for quite a while. And I knew in that moment that this was a philosophy, a, a way of looking at life that connects person, culture, and planet with the child at its heart. Perhaps a novel way of thinking about how we're all interconnected, because the young child is the universal human, regardless of where that child is born. The infant, it's in the infant that we find our universality most evident, actually, because the physiology of the infant is exactly the same, regardless of skin color, ethnicity, uh, cultural standing, economic, you know, conditions of the family. I think this is exciting. This is a unifying idea. I got all that in that moment, and then I spent the next two years coming to know what I'd been given in that moment. Nineteen ninety nine, inspired by the U.S. Declaration on the, uh, of Independence, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, in nineteen sorry, in seventeen seventy six, uh, inspired by that document, I began writing a similar emancipatory paper called A Covenant for Honoring Children, and it starts with the line we find these joys to be self-evident, that all children are created whole, endowed with innate intelligence, with dignity and wonder, worthy of respect. Um, Hmm. So, and then the following year in, in 2000, from the three paragraphs of the Covenant for Honoring Children came nine principles. Uh, These are the child-honoring principles. Respectful love, diversity, caring community, conscious parenting, emotional intelligence, nonviolence, safe environments, sustainability, and ethical commerce. Because I kept saying to people, and I would talk to people all the time about child-honoring, and and they'd say, well, they'd ask questions, and I'd say, you know, it's not prescriptive, it's invitational. And they say, yeah, but we need something to hang our hat on. And then I, so the principles came forth. And to jump fast forward to today, 2019, the covenant and the nine principles now comprise 10 modules of an online course in child honoring that my foundation, the Rafi Foundation for Child Honoring, has just launched
1: Interesting. And so how does that, so walk me through as an interested parent who might want to take Mm -hmm. this child honoring course. Um, first of all, where do I go to, to, to check it out?
0: I will. Can I take the long way around answering your question?
1: You can take whatever route you want to take, Rafi.
0: Um, (laughs) in, in 2012, I took 10 years away from the concert stage to develop this philosophy, to write about it, to think about it. In 2006, I published an anthology called Child Honoring, How to Turn This World Around, um, echoing the words of Nelson Mandela, who actually used those words in a speech in 2000. He said, it's not enough for world leaders to spout rhetoric. He said, what we need to do is to turn this world around for the children. This anthology... Um, comes with a, a foreword uh, by the Dalai Lama. So there are, many <clears throat> there are many illustrious thinkers all echoing the call for a world that honors its young in one way or another. And I, I attended many, many conferences uh, on children's environmental health and took detailed notes. I'm fond of going back and looking at my notes on occasion. Because they re- revive for me memories of the colleagues with whom I shared these experiences. Um, so, you know, fast forwarding to nineteen so, to two thousand nineteen, you can see that I've been in this child honoring work. It's in a, in a sense, it's been my second career, you might say. Uh, Twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now I feel so happy that. If folks go to raffyfoundation.org, there's a menu button at the top that says, take the course. And you click on that, and you'll get a course preview, what the course will cover, which is, as I said, the covenant for honoring children, and it's nine principles. So it's 10 modules, self-paced, and it costs $125. Students uh, get a substantial discount, university students. Uh, educators... If you know there's a group of people who want to take the course, they just get in touch with us at info at and uh, they can get a group rate and so on. So we've made this as user-friendly as possible. And what makes me really happy, Adam, is that the initial feedback from educators and parents has been glowing. They love it. They love the depth of it, the, the interdisciplinary nature of the course. Because as I said earlier, it's about connecting dots between, cur- between person, culture, and planet. So that if you're serious about early childhood development, you can't leave out the welfare of Mother Earth. You can't. I mean, literally, physiologically, we are dependent uh, on our surroundings and on the ecosystems whose children we are. And this this connected way of speaking about Mother Earth is in my songs. If you look at my song that I wrote, I think back in, I don't know if it was 2002, Roots and Shoots, it was inspired by Jane Goodall. (laughs) The song says, Roots and Shoots, Roots and Shoots, we are the roots and shoots of a living world. It doesn't point out there, it says, we are the roots and shoots of a living world. So there's no separation here we are the expressions of life's longing for itself as Khalil Gibran said but we are also mother earth's children both the mother and child 70% water isn't that interesting So for me this is um, a joy to express this connection that I feel and the connection is something we all can feel it's it's our birthright
1: in uh, in coast in the Husseinich culture uh, from South Salt Spring, as shared with our uh, Helcominum, our Cowichan relatives. Uh, there is very much a sense within the language, and we've, we had a nice walk in the forest and talked about language and, and how it helps us perceive the world around us yes. and helps describe the world around us, and, and in some cases gets in the way of us, how mm. we treat the world around us. But mm. nonetheless, the connection between living beings... Within the language is a very special and unique view that that is foreign to us, frankly, in the, in the in Western culture. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. the the words the 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 relationship between certain words and certain animals and species are one of a familial one. So, right. for example, mm-hmm. you will hear. Um, my uncles and my, my family talk, and my aunts talk about um, our relatives, the salmon, or yes. our relatives, the orca. Yes. Or our relatives, the arbutus tree, and the fir tree. Mm. And um, I've, I've taken this mm. forward in the work that I do because I think what's so really critically important is as we have disassociated ourselves from the world. It's allowed us, or from the Mother Earth, um, I almost said from, it. From the natural world. <laughs> from the natural world, that's right. As we've disassociated ourselves, put ourselves at the top of the right. hierarchy, right. said everything else is part of a chain that's below us, um, we've enabled a certain amount of very destructive behavior, which is causing... Big, big problems in this world. Agreed. Um, and and causing an incredible amount of damage to Mother Nature.
0: The pretense that we are at the top of something is dangerous. It's harmful. Um, it runs counter to the felt sense, the lived experience, that we are part of the grandeur of a mystery that we participate in. The, the magic and the sacred is not... F- somewhere else. It's here. We are part of the sacred. Uh, Then that way we can see each other respectfully. So the child honoring philosophy really is all about uh, co-creating a culture of respect. Respectful love is the first principle. uh, And it's not just limited to uh, what we accord one another and how we see the young. It's it's a way of being. You, You want to live that way, with respectful love with curiosity and wonder Hmm. I I wrote a song uh, inspired by uh, Rian Eisler uh, a cultural historian who wrote the book The Chalice and the Blade in any case uh, in this song one verse says if not for wonder if not for reverence if not for love then why have we come here
1: Hmm.
0: and I hold that in my heart as I live. Wonder, reverence, love, that's what our learning ought to be all about. Mm-hmm. We can have our differences, of course we will. Life would be uninteresting without difference, <laughs> without variety. <laughs> well, and you live
1: on Salt Spring Island, you know. yes, so you know a about lot of difference and
0: variety. Believe me, but at the core of it should be those truths. Right uh, of our grandeur
1: the way that it's articulated by uh, elders in in our community is that we live in a good way, and it's it's I think you can hear it in it from indigenous elders mm. right across the country that this that this term is a term that I would say it's a replacement term, but it's the way that it's articulated. Mm. Um, the beginning of the uh, of the legend of the flood was that the people were no longer living in a good way and so i think the the way that you've articulated it the way that, that these are that we we know <laughs> we know what we should be doing we know what we're not doing well and and where we have maybe taken some liberties that is not going to play out well for us over the long-term unless we start to change the culture. And I think that this child-honoring, uh, through your foundation, this child-honoring program, helps us to reconnect or to start to change a culture that is in dire need of changing.
0: You know, with climate change now being recognized as the climate emergency, climate crisis, and as James Hansen said in his book in 2007, the climate catastrophe... We are uh, in a time like no other where we're questioning how viable our future will be, how livable it will be. There's a book I'm reading called The Uninhabitable Earth. So we, we are at a point where we owe our children a good answer as to how we're going to turn the unsustainability of the current moment around, and it will take uh, bold, bold leadership, decisive action, rapid transition from the fossil fuel era to a decarbonized economy, which will need, by the way, a replacement of the GDP as a measure of societal progress, because it does not count anything except the wealth exchanged, monetary wealth. It leaves as externalities the social impacts of doing business, the environmental impacts of doing business. And this is insane, needs to change. So I'll be talking a lot more about this in coming months and years is we need a new economy and a new measure of well-being, a quality of life index that takes into account what we are doing or what we are not doing for the restoration. Any sustainability needs to be restorative because it doesn't begin today from today on will be sustainable. No, it needs to be restorative. We've done a lot of damage. So for me, the challenge as a children's troubadour is to hold all this and to speak about it in ways that, that, that um, hopefully I can be heard. Because I don't want to, to have a tone with any of this that's not inviting. I can hold strongly what I believe and what I've learned from people, what I continue to learn. But we have work to do to make deep changes in the way that we live as societies and maybe the child honoring philosophy as a code of conduct, as a way of being, as a compass, can help. Because how children grow, that, that, that word formative again, it forms lasting impressions, those early memories. You want them to be positive, life-affirming, You know, respectful. That's what you want children to learn. You want people walking down the street with a sense of confidence uh, and a largesse about their being. You don't want people fearful and, and constricted walking down the street because those people might be where the trouble comes from. Hmm? Mm-hmm. So in our circle of belonging that we can dream of and practice and, and, and live in, I think there's much inspiration to be had and to, to give one another you know, if we see the goodness in one another, if we remember what our ancestors uh, have been, uh, you know, trying to teach us, and uh, keep the good alive in us.
1: The idea of um, that the the idea of child honoring is really a a call for self respect. Mm. Um, I, I think. We ha- we have lost uh, uh, some some of our self respect as a spe- as a species, and the idea that we all start as children, that we mm-hmm. all make it to the point in our life where we're sitting over overlooking this beautiful vista with a, a, a wonderful day and a and a beautiful dog that has obviously a life that. You know, is second to none. Look at that. My, my Luna. Luna has a good life. <laughs> no, she, <definitely>. she does. <laughs> She's just she'll get up and chase the ball when you. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Looks over. What, what did you say? But the, I, I think we all make it to the point that we make from being children at, at some point. And mm-hmm. you know, I I used to bring Silas and Ella to committee meetings with me, oh, and they'd sit there with me, and they'd change beautiful. change the tone yes, in the, of, uh, of the room. Beautiful. Um, and we, from a very young age, would bring our kids into restaurants. Mm. And we get mm. looked at, like, what mm. are you doing bringing those mm. troublemakers, those noisemakers into here? Don't mm. you know that we're here to. And it was, and it, our kids were very lucky that we have kids that, that behave well. <laughs> and they, but they're kids. Right. So right. They're, you know, they're learning. They behave well for kids. Right. But I always get, you know, I always got kind of frustrated by the fact that we have so little patience
0: but let's go back to something you just said that we were all children i I harp on this sometimes when in my keynote speeches and so on i say childhood is the time and place that we all came from Hmm. it's the universal experience this is another reason why i have high hopes i mean i dream big (laughs) I i have high hopes that in time child honoring as a philosophy as a way of being might gain traction with great numbers of people taking this course and coming to to embrace it because not only is our interconnectedness as a global species most evident in the young of our species, in the human infant, who I lovingly consider to be homo universalis. That's what I call the infant. (laughs) But given that we all were a child, each one of us, can remember what that felt like. And that can be the basis of the compassion we muster, the needed compassion for seeing children in a different way.
1: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing your space and your time and this beautiful day with with me. I, I am, um, well, you know... I got to listen to your music growing up, so I, I have to say it's, a, it's just such a treat to be able to thank you. run into you on the streets of Ganges and uh, get you to, I think you signed my son's cast when he broke his arm, and thank that was you. a big yeah. big well, point in his life. The, the signature, not the arm breaking.
0: <laughs> it's a joy for me, it really is, and I, I want to thank you for your public service, too. And maybe as a thank you, I could sing a, a little bit of a song I, I wrote and recorded recently. It's on my OWL sing-along album. It goes, green dream. I have a green dream, a dream about you and me, and of what can be a green dream for all the children, the ones who play with us, and the ones to come, living in Mother Nature's arms, and so on.
1: <laughs> well, it's a beautiful song and a beautiful message, Thank and you. one that I that I hope, you know, I, I think. In the job that I'm in and the work that I do, I'll be sharing your child honoring course with. Uh, I think that we could benefit from having a much longer view at the uh, at the world than we have in the decisions that are being made right now. So I thank you for your work. I thank you for bringing joy to not only our children but to our grand our, our grandparents. <laughs> and I know that when my mom hears those songs, she lights up. And in fact, I think. Walked up to you when you saw her publicly and said, "Hey," because she remembers and yeah, sings I remember. those songs. I was a so, joy to meet her. Thank you. So, thank you for the for what you've done. and Thank you for um, being so generous with your time today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, Adam.
1: So, just when we thought we were done, uh, we weren't done. Of course, you are never done with Raffi, but uh, I would have loved to have just had that conversation continue um, in perpetuity. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we weren't done, and I tried to cut this in this next piece in. Um, to the content that we had. It didn't work. So I just wanted to say we decided to hit the uh, record button again because he had this message that he wanted to leave with you.
0: I want to mention that all those who register in the course, uh, the online course in child honoring, get uh, a gift. It's a new album of mine called Motivational Songs. It's not made for children, this album. It's a companion to the course. And there are some... Twenty-two songs, actually. They get a digital version of the album, the course registrants. The album is also available in CD. But I want to mention that we've included the song "Green Dreams" on this album for fun. And uh, and the the songs are on diverse child honoring themes, and I think they'll surprise people.
1: Ah, very cool. And so, uh, do you have uh, do you have an album? do you have another album in the works for for kids as well i,
0: I don't actually at this moment because my dog on the floor album which uh, was released last summer is the current you know album that i'm uh, singing a couple of songs from in my in my concerts and uh, i think i'm so full of the desire to tell my fans about this online course that that's what i'm filled with at the moment and along with educator kristen weens of the victoria area uh, she and i are uh, planning child-honoring workshops for teachers, half-day and full-day workshops. We're also planning uh, community presentations on the child-honoring philosophy uh, in coming years. So I have a lot of work to do. I'm only 70, you know. I'm, this is my legacy work, but I'm a young fellow. And...
1: I can tell you that was one of the easiest conversations that I've had behind a microphone. It just flows. And he's just a beautiful storyteller, and he just has got beautiful stories to tell. And so I can't tell you, when I thought of doing this podcast, uh, Rafi was always in the back of my mind is eventually I'm going to get the opportunity and I'm going to ask Rafi if he will come on my podcast. And when I did, it was at Elizabeth May's wedding and we were standing in the line uh, waiting for uh, the opportunity to get some food. And I just dropped it on him. I said, hey, Rafi, will you come on the podcast? And he said, I'd be happy to. Uh, our people got together, and they, and they started to work on scheduling. It fell into place. I went over to Salt Spring Island. I got a chance to sit in his living room, meet his dog Luna, and have a conversation about his work as a, as a, a ch- children's troubadour, playing music for children, and then as well his important work in child honoring. And it was just such an amazing experience to be able to sit with truly one of the heroes of my childhood uh, and have the opportunity to capture... Uh, his storytelling, and to just have a conversation with him. It it was such an incredible opportunity. I really want you to check out RafiFoundation.org. RafiFoundation.org is going to unpack for you all of the information you might need if you're an educator, if you're a parent, uh, if you're a decision maker, if you're in local government, if you're in the provincial government, if you're in the federal government. I really encourage you to take the opportunity to go through uh, Rafi's Child Honoring, to take uh, to, take the, to take the pledge that we're going to uh, have a different relationship with the planet, we're going to have a different relationship with each other, and we're going to do it by starting with honoring our children. Check it out, raffifoundation.org. If you want to get in contact with, with uh, him and his team, you can get a hold of them at info at raffifoundation.org. I'm not going to drop any other links or anything for Raffi. That's all you need to know in order to get in contact with them and, uh, and uh, the child-honoring uh, program that he has, has just released. Um, if you want to get a hold of me and my office, you can. AdamOlsonMLA.ca is my website. I blog every day where I tell, continue to tell the stories about my experience in the BC Legislative Assembly. I also uh, talk about local business. and uh, There's a lot going on, and, and I, I publish a blog post every single day. That's my commitment. Uh, and i it's been going since December of uh, 2018, actually. It's uh, quite uh, remarkable that, um, that we're still going on a daily basis. But anyway, here we are, every day, adamolsonmla.ca. If you want to get a hold of me in my office, it's adam.olson.mla at leg.bc.ca. That's my official email address. If you have questions or concerns or comments about my work as the member of the Legislative Assembly for Saanich North and the Islands, that's the email to send it to. If you'd like to uh, request a meeting, you do it through that email. And I and I encourage people, please don't do it on social media because the reality is it's very hard for us to keep track of all of the re- requests and all of the meeting requests and, and manage a calendar and mal- manage a schedule uh, and do it through uh, social media. So I encourage you, please send us an email to adam.olson.mla at leg.bc.ca. That way we can keep track of uh, everything that's uh, flowing into our constituency office. You can call us at 250-655-5600. We're located at the foot of Beacon in beautiful Sydney-by-the-Sea at uh, number 215, 2506 Beacon Avenue. You can come down and check us out there. Um, I don't know. You can find me on Twitter at Adam P. Olson. You can find me on Facebook Facebook slash Olson for MLA. I know I wish I could change it, but I can't. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Adam Philip Olson. Look, uh, I, I really appreciate the, the opportunity that I have to be able to do this podcast. There's, uh, I've got several guests already recorded. I'm going to be editing them, and I'm going to be back to my weekly schedule. Every Sunday, I'm going to drop a new episode of The Public Circle. Thanks a lot for hanging in there over the last couple of weeks. Thanks a lot for hanging through uh, this episode and I look forward to reconnecting with you in future episodes. So, as I always say, until next time. Hi Aqua.